Hi, everyone. I know recently we announced we were going to two episodes a week and then three episodes a week. But you know what? There are just too many episodes. So we are going to back to five episodes a week. Still a reduction from seven, but there were just too many interviews scheduled, and I didn't want to make all the authors wait for too long. So I hope you can keep up with me. Listen to one a week as you're on your way to work or on your way home or putting your kids to bed or whatever it is you're doing. Moms don't have time to read books now five times a week. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, and you're listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. This 30-minute podcast features a new author interviewed by me every single day, 365 days a year for about 30 minutes. I am also the publisher for Zibby Books, which publishes 12 books a year in fiction and memoir. Our books are already out now. You can check it out on zibbybooks.com. And we have a magazine called Zibby Mag, where we have lots of wonderful essays and lifestyle features. That's at zibbymag.com. We have classes at zibbyclasses.com. And I recently opened a bookstore in LA called Zibby's Bookshop at 1113 Montana Avenue at 11th Street in Santa Monica. I hope that you are able to enjoy some of our other offerings. But this here podcast is the basis of all of it and started in 2018. And no matter what I do, this is basically my favorite thing. Enjoy. Emma Noyes is the author of Guy's Girl. Emma told her mother she wanted to be an author when she was six. She grew up in a suburb outside Chicago and attended Harvard University, where she studied history and literature. She started her career at a beer company, but left because she wanted to write about mermaids and witches, eventually publishing her first YA fantasy series, The Sunken City. She now lives in Chicago with her Swedish boyfriend and miniature Pomeranian. Guy's Girl is her adult debut. Welcome, Emma. Thank you so much for coming on Mom's Turn of Time to Read Books to discuss Guy's Girl. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. I really, really enjoyed this book. I feel like you created characters so well, like the scenes, the friendship dynamics, what it's like to be that girl in the mix, what it's like to be a young girl at all in Mm -hmm. New York City, in a new Mm -hmm. environment, navigating 
all of it, the job that you think you want that you don't really want, (laughs) and all the eating stuff on top of it is just, I I really, I found it quite delightful. So thank you. (laughs) So why don't you tell listeners uh, about the book? Absolutely. So Guys Girl is, I say it's a love story, but it's a love story between both Ginny and Adrian, who are the main characters, but also Ginny and herself Mm. as she navigates uh, recovering from anorexia and bulimia and learning to love herself for who she is. It's also my selling line for it is often uh, New Girl, but if Sally Rooney had written New Girl, so a little bit darker, a little bit more psychological, but you still got the fun dynamics of the group of guy friends and being a girl amongst the guys. Yeah, these guys. I mean, I want it to be like, <laughs> like just like dash them across the head sometimes, you know, <laughs> not in a mean way. That's going to come out wrong in the transcript. It's going to look terrible. Just mean, you know, they're like joking around so silly. Um, like we all know those guys and we all know oh, that yeah. time of life. Mm-hmm. And now, of course, I'm in my mid-40s and those guys are still around. So <laughs> <laughs> Things never change. Yeah, things never change. Maybe it's like slightly, but you know, <laughs> uh, hard to disguise. So where did this book come from? It's your debut novel. Congratulations. Thank how you. Did, how did this come to be? So I myself was in recovery. I got into recovery like properly, I would say around July, 2020. And as I was going through recovery, I journaled a ton and I never had like a, like a book in mind. I never had a novel in mind, but when I would be writing like books on the side, I was working on a YA fantasy series uh, as well as some other projects. And I always find myself wanting to have a main character with an eating disorder, but it never really felt right. Like I would start a book and I would think, okay, maybe this will be the one and it never really felt right. And then in 2021, I went through a breakup with a guy that I'd been seeing for a long time. And I was like devastated afterward. And I you know, couldn't get out of bed and just really was, and I, I relapsed. I'd been in recovery for a while and I had been purge free for a while and I relapsed. And it was then when I was feeling like at my lowest, you know, couldn't get out of bed that I started writing about Ginny Mm -hmm. and it just immediately felt right. I was like, this is, this is the character that's going to be the one where I really like work through all of this. And it ended up being like, as I was going through my relapse and then fighting my way out of it, Ginny started doing the same in the book. So it really just kind of like dovetailed with my life. Oh my gosh. And that's how it came about. Wow. That's amazing. It's crazy <laughs> how these characters can like actually make a dent in reality. Totally. Absolutely. Like otherworldly and yet so <laughs> powerful. People feel like we're crazy, but it's true. No, um, totally. Well, thank you for being so open about your own sort of journey through eating disorders. Can you talk do you mind talking a little bit about it that when it started and you know how it has affected your life? Absolutely. So I would say that I first developed anorexia when I was 18. And I have uh I was diagnosed with OCD at a really early age. It developed when I was like 11 or 12, my symptoms. And the type that I had was very not the typical like OCD that you see on, you know, monk or like in different TV shows and movies where you have to like touch things a certain amount of times or like wash your hands obsessively. Mine was like really debilitating intrusive thoughts. And I was in therapy for that and nothing was really working. And I went on this mission trip with my church and they like didn't really feed us very much when we were there. And so it was just by chance that I kind of became like, I didn't know it, but I was like starving. Like I I needed more food. 
And I found that I, all I could think about when that was happening was food. And I came back from this mission trip and I had lost weight and I looked in the mirror and I really liked the way that I looked. But what I liked even more than that was how quiet my brain felt. Because when you're starving or when you're not getting the nutrients that you need, you can't think about, you know, oh, this like crazy obsessive thought. All you can think about is food and like where your next meal is going to come from and and whatever. And I didn't know it at the time, but I was developing anorexia. It felt to me at the time, like I was fixing my OCD. I was like, oh my gosh, at last, like I'm having some relief from these thoughts. But is it, but weren't the thoughts replaced, sorry to interrupt, weren't the thoughts replaced by thoughts about food? Absolutely. But when you go your whole life worrying about things that like my OCD thoughts were very much like moral faced. So like when I was little, when I first developed it, I would think about every bad thing I'd ever done as a kid. And I had to apologize to my parents. And like the thoughts were so persistent and obsessive, but it's very like torturous. Um, My next novel that's coming out next year is actually an OCD. The protagonist has OCD. So if you read it, you'll get to see exactly what I mean. But it's to me like thinking about anything that wasn't the sort of like worry, like tense thoughts that I had for years, it was a relief. Okay. And eventually I would realize that I had come to replace one monster with a different monster, but it took me a long time to realize that. Okay. How did the, do you mind? I'm like doing it. Not at all. No, this is the whole reason I published this book is I want to talk more openly about this stuff. When you had the intrusive thoughts and they started off you know, apologizing and ruminating mm-hmm. sort of on that type of thing. Mm-hmm. How did it change as you became a teenager? And what were you obsessing about when the trip happened? Like what happened? What was like the week before the trip like? Yeah. So it morphed as I got older and I didn't realize it at the time, but I would learn later in therapy that like OCD kind of switches often to like attack whatever is like most important to you in your life. So when I was a kid, my parents and my parents' opinion of me was really important to me. So every bad thing I'd ever done, I had to apologize for and like get their forgiveness for. Eventually it turned into things more like, I remember I had my first boyfriend in eighth grade and I was totally obsessed with him, you know, loved him. And I started obsessing over cheating. Like I started being afraid that if so, I mean, it got to the point, and this is the same thing that happens to my protagonist in uh, the books called How to Hide in Plain Sight that comes out next year. I would think it wasn't even just like, oh, like you talk to a boy and you get scared that that means you're cheating. Like I would think that if a boy, like a spit droplet landed on my hand and I didn't immediately wash it away, that it could then get into my mouth and that would count as me cheating on him. Mm. Like it's very like, got it. it's very persistent thoughts and it affects every moment of your life. Like it's, I would have like specific routines for like washing things off my hands, specific ways I had to shower to make sure I was getting all of like any spit that could have landed on my body that day off. Like, so as I started dating, it morphed into that. I had for a period, I had a period of harm OCD, which is where you think that even though you've never hurt someone before, you might actually be a murderer because you have you look and you see a knife and you have a thought of like, what if I picked up the knife and hurt someone with it? And then your brain, instead of being like, oh, that was a weird thought. Like, why did I have that? My brain goes, oh, that means you're actually a murderer and deep down you want to kill people. And then I would obsess over that for weeks or months or even years. So it really just changes and it always attacks the things that 
like morally you care about. Like I would never want to hurt someone. And so my OCD said, no, but actually you are a murderer. And then it's like, it's so, it hurts so much that then when I learned, well, I didn't learn. I just felt that like starving myself would turn those thoughts off. Mm -hmm. Of course I wanted to, of course I wanted to escape that. Did you know you had OCD and did you ever get any treatment for it? I knew that I had OCD, but I was only ever in, when I was a kid, I was only ever in like general therapy. I didn't go into like specialists, which I now know, like if you have OCD, the best type of treatment, like the gold standard is um, exposure therapy and uh, cognitive behavioral therapy. But I never did that as a kid. I was only ever in like general talk therapy. Okay. 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 Thank you. I don't know. Yeah, of course. (laughs) I do know a lot about, I was, I love psychology and I was a psych major. I worked in eating disorders. Mm. like Yale Center for Eating and Weight Disorders. Oh my gosh, wow. And I worked at the Adolescent Inpatient Unit at Westchester Hospital. And I am just sort of obsessed with psychology and I've learned a lot about OCD and how it can even be like inappropriate sexual thoughts and like you're- Totally. Blurred out things. And it could be like all, like the stereotype of OCD is not, I guess we should save this for your next book, but the stereotype of OCD (laughs) is not, like in the movies is so not what it is. Not at all. It's so much of it is internal that no one would ever see or guess is happening to the person. Okay. So you go on the trip, Mm -hmm. you don't eat, (laughs) you find relief from these things. You no longer are worried you're a murderer. You know that like all you have to think about is how to get food because you're so hungry. Yes. First of all, what has happened to these church leaders who took you on this trip as a result of this? (laughs) Oh my gosh. <laughs> I won't name any names or say anything um, because I'm sure it wasn't on purpose. Like, you know, there, there, I remember that there were opportunities on the trip to like go have like candy at some points throughout the day. But I had gotten into this headspace where I was like, I'm just going to try and eat like as cleanly as possible. I hate, I hate that term now, like clean eating. It's so triggering to me. I'm sorry. We won't <laughs> um, say it again. On the trip. Delete, delete, delete. <laughs> And so I think there were opportunities to have like more like candy and desserts or whatever, but I had gotten into this sort of like very rigid mindset, which would become my mindset for the next, you know, couple of years. And so when I came back, I had lost 10 pounds and I was like, oh, and I, I didn't, I didn't need to lose weight. I was a perfectly healthy and normal 18 year old girl, but I loved it. And I thought, oh, I'm going to try and I'm going to try and keep this off. You know, I'm going to college in, in the fall and I'm going to really try and have like, quote unquote, the perfect diet. So I became really obsessed with no starch. So I wouldn't allow myself bread, rice, corn, potatoes, anything like that. And I just became really obsessed with creating what at the time, because I had been exposed to things like the zone diet and the paleo diet and, you know, whatever. In my mind, I thought, okay, these, it's the perfect diet involves no starch whatsoever, which I now know is not true. But that kicked off. I got to college and then that kicked off years of just like, it took me three years to even admit to myself that I had anorexia. And even once I did, it took me another one, two, three, three years to get into proper treatment. I I tried to like, quote unquote, fix myself, which I think a lot of people who go through, who suffer from eating disorders think that they can do it on their own. And you just, it's almost impossible. Like once I started getting the support and like help from specialists and therapists and nutritionists, like it completely changed the game because doing it on your own is like impossible because you don't know that it's your brain. Your brain thinks that it's keeping you safe, 
So when you try to argue with it and like, and say, no, I want to make a change. I want to do things differently. You're really arguing with yourself. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's really hard to tell the difference between what's a healthy thought and what's a disordered thought. Did you have like a low weight? Did you have to be hospitalized? I never had to be hospitalized, which like, I mean, I'm thankful. I'm grateful for that because I know how insane it is to like, just from my experience of reading about like treatment centers, I think that there were times when I probably should have gone to a treatment center and like done things like done inpatient. I never had to be hospitalized, but I think like that's another thing that I feel very strongly about with eating disorders is like the misconceptions that people have of like, oh, in order to be anorexic, you have to look really scary. But there are so many people out there who have different eating disorders and you would never know just from looking mm-hmm. at them. Like they look like a, a quote unquote normal person. And I've had like, when I started talking about my recovery process on social media, I had people comment and say, you were never anorexic. Like you don't look like you were anorexic. Oh, oh my gosh. So helpful. And it's just like, people don't know. They don't, they have no idea. Wow. Well, I'm sorry for those terrible people. Yeah. Well, you know, the internet is full of them. <laughs> imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com. And how did you finally get yourself into the proper treatment? And then what did that look like? Like from then to here? So it took the same way that Ginny, her anorexia turns into bulimia. It took the same for me to finally get into treatment. And I would later learn this in recovery. It's more common than you think for one to turn into the other. I had gone six years of basically like starving myself. And when I started trying to refeed myself, my brain went into like, you know, my brain thought that I had been in a famine basically for six years, like the primal part of my brain. And so when I finally started eating bread and and starch again, it said, oh, we're finally eating. Great. We have to shove as much food into our body as possible. And then of course I panic internally because I feel like I'm out of control and then it turns into binging and then the binging turns into purging. And that's what happens for a lot of 
people when they try to recover. But it was a pretty seamless transition from anorexia into bulimia for me. And I was seeing my like childhood therapist at the time, just doing like general therapy, talking about anxiety and OCD and like just, you know, it was during COVID. So everything was kind of, you know, heightened for people then, their their mental health. And I remember my therapist being like, and I would say, yeah, and I threw up today and I threw up yesterday, but I still was kind of like in denial that I was really bulimic. And my therapist was like, I think we need to get you into like to see a specialist. And so I did. I called, she gave me a number of a person, a referral. I called the number um, and I left a voicemail and and then she called me back. And it was like, I had thought that I had needed to go into treatment for a while, but I had never... I don't know, had the guts or like never had the, like something really pushed me to do it. And um, something just felt right about this woman when I talked to her and I started treatment and that was like July, 2020. And that's, it went from there. My gosh. Well, it's not like that was an easy time period for anybody. No, no. My gosh. So you've overcome so much stuff, not to say that something is ever like tied up with a bow, right? This is, these are our minds. No, you're always, you're always in the process still. <laughs> Just like anything else. And I feel like food is so hard because it's not like, not to minimize alcoholism, which is of course Mm -hmm. horrific, Mm -hmm. but you could theoretically like avoid Mm -hmm. drinking, but Mm -hmm. you cannot avoid eating. You got to eat and you got to eat three times a day. And that's three times plus snacks. And that's multiple times that you have to face what scares you when you're in recovery. My gosh. So tell me how it felt and how the process was creating Ginny and giving her all of these things. And, you know, were there moments where you're like, I don't even want her to go through this? I think because I was also in the thick of it when I was writing about Ginny, I had just relapsed and I had, and I got onto a new meal plan and that was really helpful for me, but it was still hard, obviously. You know, recovery is always hard. Hardest thing I've ever done, also most rewarding thing I've ever done. I think because I was kind of like in the thick of it with her, I never had a moment where I was like, oh, I don't want to do this to her. Mm-hmm. It felt more like I'm going through something that I know that thousands, hundreds of thousands, potentially even millions of other people are also going through at the same time. And bulimia in particular. Like no one wants to talk openly about that. Like with anorexia, your behaviors are, society sees your behaviors as good, eating a certain way, exercising a ton. Like you can kind of get, get by, you can skate by on like the pot, like being seen as like culturally positive thing. But with bulimia, like there's nothing positive about throwing up. It's like dirty. It's shameful. It's if you had told me in the thick of my bulimia that I was going to be like on a podcast talking about my period of time throwing up, like I would have laughed. I would have been like, no way. Like I'm, I can barely even tell my own mom what's happening to me. Like, yep. and when I started, when I really got into writing this book, I was like, this needs to be a book. This needs to be a story that is seen by the rest of the world. I need other people who are going through what I'm going through right now to read this and see that they're not alone and that healing is possible. So I never, I never really had a moment of being like, oh, like, you know, maybe this is too much or maybe like, it just felt like this is my experience and I'm, I'm sure it's other people's experience as well. And I, I want to put this out there and I want Jenny's story to be read. I mean, one of the things that you did also is when you are going through something like this and then you have a partner added to the mix, like, what does that do? 
And so you examine that, right? Like, mm-hmm. tell me what that was like to write and... Yeah. When I wrote Adrian, I mean, Adrian has a lot of his own issues, but especially at the point in in Budapest with his grandparents, like I really wanted his character. I imagined, I was like, okay, for myself, like what would the perfect supportive partner be? Because I was single at the time when I wrote this and I had been dating like on and off unsuccessfully for, for years. You know, I was on the apps and swiping and I really, it was kind of like wish fulfillment. Like, okay, what what would the perfect partner look like for someone who's trying to recover? And six months after I finished writing the book, I met my now fiance. And he is everything that Adrian is for Ginny and more. It's crazy. It's like I manifested him, truly. (laughs) That's amazing. Oh my gosh. I love it. I love it so much. I don't know. The universe has done stranger things. I know. The universe is always listening. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. That's crazy. Amazing. Where did the whole Hungarian childhood thing come from? I went to Budapest with my mom, like right after I had first admitted to myself that I had anorexia. It was at the end of my time studying abroad. And I actually think a lot of college girls, especially when they study abroad, like I know at least off the top of my head, four or five different stories of girls who went abroad and developed eating disorders. Like it's just a very common way when you feel like alone or distant from home to like have a sense of control. So mine got really bad when I studied abroad. And then at the end of my time there, my mom came and we did this trip in Budapest and it was just this kind of bright spot for me. Like we did the ruined pub crawl. We had wonderful meals together we had just like a really wonderful mother-daughter time. And I wanted to have that be a part of the story in some way. And then Adrian ended up being from Hungary and then it just kind of naturally all fit together. But I've had I've had a lot of people after they read the book say, oh, now I want to visit Budapest. Like it sounds yeah, so amazing. I, I, yeah. it, it was nice. I mean, it's like an unexpected, you know, journey. And that, yeah. like, you wouldn't know, like, oh, really? <laughs> this is where we're going. That's the great thing about picking up the book. It's like, huh. Look where I found myself today. (laughs) That's wild. So your next book is coming out when exactly? We don't have a set date, but right now it's going approximately September of next year. So exciting. Yeah. Um, So how long does it take for you to whip out these books? It like so depends on the book. The longest it's ever taken me to write a book was two and a half years. And the shortest is a month and a half. And that was Guy's Girl. Guys, girl was, but that was like, it was like a fever dream. Like I had relapsed. I was in the middle of a breakup. And then this was just like, all of a sudden my heart was like flowing out onto the page. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Wow. For those people listening who have just sat through this conversation and maybe they have a loved one with an eating disorder, or they're worried about their child or their themselves, and maybe they haven't reached recovery, or maybe they have, but it's always, you know, a part of their lives. What would you say to them? And are there resources, you know, they should turn to or anything mm-hmm. like that? Like what mm-hmm. next? My first piece of advice would be just be there for them. Listen, don't try to force food onto them, like listening and just loving the person does so much more. And just feeling like you have people in your corner did so much for me 
And it takes, it does, like you said, sometimes it takes time to find your way to treatment. But if you can, if you are financially able to, like getting yourself or them the support that they need of a professional is so important because it it is so hard to recover by yourself. And having support, not only like psychological support, but also just the support of big people in your life, family, loved ones, like it's so important. Check in on the people you love, see how they're doing. Ask them if it's someone who you know struggles with eating, even just asking, hey, how's your eating going? Like that means a lot to me when people in my life do that. So, And when are you getting married? I'm getting married July of next year. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Are you going to switch your your name to your new name? So I am like personally in my personal life, but for writing, I'll keep Emma Noise. That's my name. Amazing. Yeah. Emma, this has been so delightful. I feel like I just like totally probed into your life. Like it's an and ordinary that's okay. morning, but um, I feel like I could have you know, <laughs> just kept asking you questions. It's so nice to talk to someone who's so open about going through a hard time because that's how other people get helped. Right. And so. Exactly. Like I do it so that other people can, can benefit and know they're not alone. And plus, not and plus, plus you wrote <laughs> a great book on top of thank it all. You. So thank you. It's also enjoyable. You know, it's like a, <laughs> it's somehow fun in the midst yes. of all the stuff. Like I feel like our conversation might lead people to think it's the super heavy book, but it's very fun. So there's some, there are laughs and fun along the way. Yeah. <laughs> laughs and fun along the way. All right. Well, it was great to meet you. Thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. Have a great Bye. time. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.